0: Neither the words great or commission actually appear in this text itself. And yet, if you ask any Christian, what is the great commission, they'll automatically know what you're referring to. It's these verses right here. And I think the reason that that title has stuck so well, the great commission, is is because it's it's a very accurate summary of what's going on in these verses. Jesus is issuing a commission. What does that mean to be uh, commissioned? You, we might think of a, a talented painter being hired to paint a mural. You know, he's being commissioned to do a job, and he's going to be paid at the end of the job. Or you might think of a man joining the, the military, say the US Navy, becomes an officer. We'll say he's a commissioned officer. Well, what, is, what does that word mean? You know, it means he's been given some, some orders, some, some duty, uh, a responsibility is placed upon him to perform some task. Well, the same is true for the Christian. And, you know, Speaking of that military language, Paul uses that military uh, language when he tells Timothy that no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him, 2 Timothy 2.4. So my question for you right now is, do you realize this about yourself? Do you realize that when when Jesus Christ saved you, when he came to you and said, all your sins are forgiven, all of them are done away with, and you were being transferred from one kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of, of the light of his beloved son, that all your sins were forgiven, and Jesus said, you're mine now. One of the things that was happening to you was that you were being enlisted into the army of the living god you, you were brought into his ranks your life is not your own anymore there's no more living for for our own vain pursuits we've been giving a marching order from jesus we've been commissioned right and it is a great commission it's great because this this should be one of the overarching pursuits in our life and all that we do we want to see the advancement of the gospel <clears throat> but uh here's a question that i've often often asked myself is why have you ever wondered that to yourself why did god save me and then leave me here to live the rest of my life out here on earth why why not just take us home to heaven immediately after saving us I mean, that's where we want to be. I want to be with the Lord. And what's more is I read in Scripture that He wants me to be with Him there also. So why are we still here? (laughs) Well, the only uh, good answers I can come up with is because it glorifies God when we live our lives out here on earth bearing much fruit uh, and seeking to fulfill the one another's in Scripture. It glorifies God when we pour our lives out to, to reach the world and, and, and obeying this great commission. And also think about the, uh, the standpoint of the lost world around you. It's for their benefit that we're left here. You know, um, to, uh, to spread Jesus' name throughout the world. Consider these lost souls. Romans 10, what does it say? How then will they call on him? If they, if they have not believed on him? And how are they to believe on him in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? It's pretty logical. And so Christ sends us into the world. So brethren, what I want to do today is uh, simply to remind you of the words of our Lord here, though you know them already. I want to stir you up to love and good works. I want us all to have a burden for the evangelization of the lost world. And my hope is that you will be reinvigorated to fulfill Christ's command here to go make disciples of all nations. Because you know what can happen in the Christian life? We can sometimes forget, we can lose sight of our marching orders. I know that's true for me and we, we, we tend to to fall into this rut of only thinking of the here and now we get comfortable in this world we settle for you know the status quo religion you know the fact that these lost neighbors lost co-workers lost family members the fact that they're heading to hell sometimes it doesn't really dawn on our minds it doesn't really bear on us like it should and we, we get into this little protected bubble where we focus on our own little problems. And uh, that can happen to you, and it can happen to me. It can happen to Grace Church Austin. It can happen to Grace Community Church San Antonio. And every, every so often, we need, we need to be reminded of our marching orders. We need someone to come along and, 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 and stir us again to reach the lost. So may God help us today to live in light of eternity. May he give us the grace to live out this great commission. So what I want to do now is this. I want to just go through this text again and draw out a number of considerations to reflect on. So I'm going to read it again just for our benefit. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So I have four questions that I want to ask about this text. Four questions, and I want to seek to answer these questions, and I pray that these will be applicable to our lives. The first question is this. Who does this command apply to? Who does it apply to? That's a pretty preliminary Question. It's important though, because there have been those throughout history who have suggested that this command Jesus is giving does not apply today or to all Christians today. Some would suggest that this is a this is only applicable to the apostles. And they would restrict it. to the the 11 apostles Jesus is speaking to right here. Or they would restrict it to those who maybe are highly gifted in evangelism. I mean, it sounds reasonable on the surface. I mean, in the immediate context, he is speaking to the 11, is he not? But I would caution against that reasoning and argue against it because, first of all, there's no special class of Christians There's no uh, top-tier level of believer. Uh, In fact, if you try to... uh, When you make this apply to only those who are highly gifted in evangelism or highly gifted in uh, spiritual gift of faith, you're dividing the body of Christ. It's an artificial division, and we should be rejected. And, I mean, even in the context... It can't be only for those who are highly gifted in a certain matter of faith. I mean, look, it even says some doubted. What a, what a weakness right there. But Jesus gives them this command. And neither can this be restricted to the apostles because you'll notice in verse 20, he says, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus indicates to us that this great commission is going to take to the end of the age to be accomplished. But the apostles didn't live to the end of the age. They died. And so the command to go extends beyond the life of the apostles. In other words, this is for us today. And I would say this is for all believers. This great commission is for you and me. However, to balance out uh, any... Wrong thinking. It must be acknowledged that while this command for is for all Christians, uh, carrying it out is going to look different for each one of us. You know, we don't want to have a, a, a too narrow of a view of the Great Commission here. You know, because someone could hear what I'm saying and think the only way to be a faithful Christian is to 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 quit my job, sell my house, and go live in the jungle and make disciples. And that's clearly not true. Most, most Christians are not called to that kind of a life. Because just think about it logically. If, if everyone was to do that, where would the church be? Where would the sending church be? But yet we are, we are still to take part in this great commission. So the ones staying back and, and holding the fort, as it were, are, are necessary so in what way does this apply? How, how can this apply to you and me if we stay here at home working a regular full-time job and, uh, and just uh, living in the context of a local church, faithfully giving of our time and resources? How, does this, how can we take part in the Great Commission? And I would suggest that there is a way that you can be intimately involved in the uh, Great Commission. So I've got a number of texts I'm going to flip to just to show you some realities here. So let try flipping over to Romans 15. Romans 15, verse 22. I'll start right there. And Paul is writing to these Romans. He's saying, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I've longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. So Paul is planning a trip to go to Spain, and he's hoping to stop and see them along the way. And he says this, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So he's, he's hoping that it will be by their help he will get to Spain, to where he's going. Now drop down to maybe verse 28. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. It will be by way of you I leave for Spain. And uh, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. And I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God and on my behalf. So Paul is saying, "It'll be by way of you, I'm going to get to Spain." And he's appealing to them to strive together with him, even though they're remaining there in Rome. Okay, maybe try flip it over to Philippians chapter one. verse 3 through 5 Paul says I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your here it is your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now Paul considers this Philippian church to be partners with him not just supporting him but, but partners in the work of the ministry In chapter 4, flip a page over to chapter 4, I'll start reading in verse 10. Paul is saying, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received it from Paphroditus, the gifts you sent. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So this Philippian church had sent some gift, some monetary gift to Paul and supplied his need. And uh, and Paul says this, uh, it was a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So, so, so prayer is one way that we can partake in the great commission. Uh, Giving and supplying missionary needs, sending, and that is a way to partner in the gospel. Okay, Third John, verses five through eight. I want to read that. I know I'm having you flip all over these pages, but I really want you to see this. This is important. Third John, verse 5. Beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So when we support people like these we're not just sitting on the sidelines we are, we are becoming fellow workers for the truth so you might be thinking well, well very well and I see that reality but certainly we have this idea that going to the, the jungle the lost missions uh, you know the, the north sentinelese that's the more noble of the two right there's a greater reward in going to the the uncontacted people right but but i would i would suggest that that in God's economy he's got a way of of um, assessing things much differently than we do we we place a higher emphasis and a higher premium on the mission the missionary and uh, I think on judgment day we'll, we'll be surprised we'll be surprised and something i want to show you actually Uh, from the Old Testament, from the life of David. So, turn to 1 Samuel 30. 1 Samuel 30. There's a lot going on in this chapter. But, this is a is a, it takes place in a very interesting time in David's life. Very, very interesting. He's a, in Ziklag of the Philistines. But the Amalekites come and raid, uh, make a raid against a, a city called Negev and against Ziklag. And they come against Ziklag, they burn it with fire, and they take captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They didn't kill anyone, but they carried them off went their way. So they have these hostages. They took all the women. And, and David, he, uh, he he's a man's man. He says, I'm going to rally the troops and we're going to go get these the women back. We're going to go get uh, our people. And so David takes his men. We'll start at verse uh, 9. So David set out and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook Bezor, where their... Uh, where those who were left behind stayed, but David pursued. he and 400 men, 200 stayed behind, who were too exhausted to cross the brook resort. So these 600 men come with David, and they're chasing these Amalekites to get their women back, And 200 of them become too exhausted to cross over, was it? Wasn't, they didn't go for any uh, lack of morality. It wasn't an immorality problem. There was a physical condition that they were in that they were, prevented them from going. They were too exhausted. And so 400 men go and across the brook to, to chase the Amalekites. And I'll, I'll summarize what's going on here. They, they come across an Egyptian man in the wilderness who, who was a servant of one of the Amalekites. He was left for dead. They take this servant in and they say, uh, Will you show us, will you lead us to them, to the Amalekites? And he does. So they find the Amalekites totally unprepared. And uh, in verse 17, David struck them down from twilight until evening of the next day. And not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. But verse 18, David recovered all of the Amalekites had taken and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters. Spoil or anything that had been taken, David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds and and the people drove the livestock uh, before him and said, this is David's spoil. Then, and, and here's the interesting part. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David. So these are the 200 that stayed back. They didn't go into the battle. followed it and they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him and when David came near to the people he greeted them then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said because they did not go with us we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered except that each man may lead, lead away his wife and children and depart so you're saying because they didn't go fight with us they shouldn't get any share of the the spoil that we got but David said you shall not do so my brothers with what the Lord has given us he has preserved us and has given it into our hand the band that came against us who would listen to you in this matter for as his share is who goes down into the battle so shall his share be who stays by the baggage they they shall they shall share alike and he made it a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. And uh, God has recorded that instance here to say that those who stayed by the baggage played actually a, a vital role. They were holding down the fort. And, and we get a glimpse of God's economy here. They, they got the same reward as those who went into the battle, actually. And another interesting thought is some of the people who actually did go down into the battle, David said, it says they were worthless and wicked. That's, that's also interesting. I mean, if, if we're relating this to the to, to foreign mission field, you know, it, it could be possible God is more pleased with the person staying at home, doing the mundane, holding the fort, holding the rope, than he is with someone living out in the jungle. Because right? it's the heart. It's the heart God looks at So so this command that Christ gives in Matthew 28, and we'll go back to there, is for all Christians. It's for us, though our paths will look different, uh, we all have a part to play. Um, even when we stay at home, we are to become fellow workers. That's the first question that I was seeking to answer. Who is this command to? But the second question is this. To whom are we to go to? That's an important question to figure out. It has a very simple answer. Verse 19 he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The (laughs) Greek word here is ethnos which is where we get our word ethnicity from. Uh, you know, we can take that for granted that Jesus said that. But but if you can imagine, to the mind of these first century Jewish uh, followers, this is astounding. This is revolutionary. In fact, it's so revolutionary that they didn't fully really realize it yet. If you look at the book of Acts, they still didn't realize it. I mean, Peter himself is, is one of these 11. And you look in the book of Acts, it, it took him until him seeing a vision uh, about the four cre- uh, of all the creatures coming down the sheet and not calling uh, anything unclean. And you realize that that was about the Gentiles. You realize that, that the whole incident with Cornelius's household was uh, Acts chapter 10. So all that time it was so revolutionary. They couldn't really even fully get their head around that. that all nations, all the ethnos, the Gentiles. But uh, you know what we see from this is that uh, Jesus Christ and the message of his gospel uh, cannot be relegated to a single ethnicity or people group you know it's an absolute fallacy of uh, modern day liberal college professors to insist that Christianity is a white man's religion it's not uh, his rule and his reign transcends all cultures all languages and geographical boundaries He is Lord of all. And one day the scripture says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. And there's salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And we do see in revelation, John has a vision, a glimpse of glory and the, the living creatures and the elders fall down and they're singing this song and they're singing, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Their the Greek word is again ethnos. So that is who we are to go to, to anyone and everyone in this world who does not know Christ as Lord yet, without discrimination. I mean, they're heading to hell. And we have the answer they need. We have the solution to their greatest problem. We have this gospel that is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. So how can we not go? Okay, so that was the second question. We've looked at the first one. Who does this apply to? We asked, uh, who are we to go to? The third question is this. How? How are we to go and make disciples of all the nations? Well, I will draw your attention to two separate verbs that modify this command. He says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So baptizing... And teaching it's an interesting one baptizing would you have included baptizing in there it's interesting but it shows us that baptism is not a a man-made idea this is God's idea includes baptism here Uh, the fact is that according to the Bible we only ever see believers being baptized that's that is the truth That's the pattern that's laid down in the New Testament. And so, for the sake of time, I won't go into all the uh, examples of that, but here's the pattern. There's a a person who's lost. Then they are taught the truth about who God is and the problem of their sin. And they're given the gospel, and they believe the gospel. Then upon believing, they are to publicly identify with Christ in baptism. So, they are to be baptized in the name of the uh, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Which, uh, by the way, that's a, a very strong Trinitarian text right there. The The singular name of, of the three persons, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God and three persons. And there's a lot that could be said, and I, I'm not going to be able to cover all of the doctrine of the Trinity right now, but this does show us that as we go evangelizing the lost and making disciples of the nations, we should take extra care that we're teaching them a solid biblical doctrine of God. You know, Paul Snyder, a heart-cry missionary, has a book called The Missionary Crisis, and one of the things he points out in that book is there there is a, um, a lack of theologically informed missions missionaries there's missionaries in this world who probably can't even describe what the doctrine of the Trinity is and that's 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 a shame okay so this verb here baptizing assumes that these people have been evangelized been given the gospel and they've been baptized but do we stop there well no He goes on in verse 20. He says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So in other words, this is discipleship. So Jesus is saying, I've I've taught you 11. I've taught you things. I've I've been with you for so many years. I've commanded you things. And now you need to go evangelize the world and, and then teach them how to observe all those things which I've commanded you. They need to be taught how to put this gospel truth into practice in their everyday lives. Because when you become a Christian, it's not like you you believe the gospel and you you have this belief over here, but it doesn't affect the way you live. It needs to bear on all aspects, all spheres of your life. Our faith is the most important thing about us, and it needs to uh, reflect in the way we, we use our time, in the way we use our money, and the way we raise our kids, and the way we vote, and the way we go into business with somebody. It affects everything. And we, need to, we need to observe all that Jesus has commanded us. You know, we want his will in all of our lives. Okay. So that's who we go to. And that's how we go to, And how we make disciples. But... I have this fourth question, and it's why? So I've looked at who does this apply to? Who are we to go to? How are we to do it? And, and this fourth question is why are we to go? So we see the command, but what, what should be our motivating factor in obeying it? And Jesus provides us with reasons. He says in verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me go therefore and make disciples so he doesn't just give a command go make disciples Uh, he gives a reason and it's it's this this truth because I have all authority therefore go so there is no no uh, uh, government no no agency that has authority except been granted by Jesus Christ. He is ruler over everything. But he also says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's another reason that we should go because this one who has all authority, this sovereign God is with us as we go. So, So this ensures that as we we give ourselves to this mission that we we will be successful god is on our side and, and really I, I don't think he's he's uh he's in verse 18 I, I don't think jesus is is being like that parent that you know when you know, you know when you were a child and your parent says go do something and you say why should i and they said, because I said so. I don't think Jesus is saying, because I have authority, so, so do it. it. Really, it's another way of saying what he says in verse 20. I'm with you always to the end of the age. I think it's a connected reason. He, he's saying, because I'm sovereign and, uh, and I'm going to be with you. And, uh, I was debating whether I should say this, but me and my wife... Recently, watched a documentary on the uh, on the life of the uh, the, the recent martyr John Allen Chow. He went to North Sentinel Island, which was illegal under the government of India, and he went there and he was shot with bows and arrows, bow and arrows, and he gave his life trying to reach these people with the gospel. And we watched this documentary. It was it was put on by National Geographic, so it's it's the worldly perspective of it. And, and they had multiple viewpoints of, of John Allen Chow. And some, it interviewed some people who were friends of his acquaintances. But largely, largely you were seeing a viewpoint that, that was saying that he was a fool. That's what they were saying about him, that he was in the wrong, that he should not have gone. What was he thinking? He was asking for it, basically. And uh, even though that was like the, the whole bent towards the documentary, I, I still walked away encouraged by it. Because, you know, the world does look at what we, what we as Christians believe and say, that's foolish. But uh, I was challenged by, by his life. You know, I think John Allen Chow saw something that I think we all need to, to see as well. He saw that, yes, the, the government of India was telling him not to go, but he saw that, that Jesus Christ had all authority and he says, go. He saw that North Sentinel Island belongs to Jesus Christ. And, and I want that view. I, I want to be more like that. And so those are the uh, four questions I have to ask of this text. And, and In closing, I guess I just want to bring some exhortation to you all as a church. I don't know what your... Uh, what your prayer meetings are like. I don't know where, where your hearts are at and, and, and missions and all that. But I just want to encourage you, just encourage you to give yourselves to this, uh, to this mission. That's not necessarily saying you have to go, but but try and stay informed about what's going on in the world and, and, and just pray for, for the lost. You know, that's uh, certainly uh, Jesus' heart, God's heart is... Revealed right here, and that should be ours too. That should be our concern. And so I just want to I want to challenge you and uh, encourage you. Well, let's let's pray, Father. We thank you so much for your Word and this is Christ who is sovereign, who has all authority. And Lord, we thank you for this promise that that He will be with us to the end of the age. And Lord, that you haven't left us to our own powers, our own abilities. You haven't abandoned us. And Lord, we, we just thank you and we ask for help. Help to, 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 to live in light of this great commission. Lord, who's sufficient for these things? We're, we're, we're weak vessels, Lord. Lord, we pray that you would take us and use our lives uh, to reach the lost around us, Lord. That you'd have mercy on our, on our co-workers, on our lost family members, on our, on our neighbors, Lord. Lord, take us and use us any way you choose, Lord. Make us useful in your hands. And we thank you for the grace and the love that's ours in Christ Jesus. Amen.